Hello, happy Wednesday and welcome to Reason for Hope. We're very glad you're joining us. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right, as you send your questions in through our multiple social media platforms. We field those questions and delve into the Word to answer them. So if you have a question on Scripture, maybe a specific verse or passages of Scripture that has confuddled you and you'd like it uh, expounded upon, maybe something even going on in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective or things going on in the world, prophetic things, anything along those lines, any honest question, as long as you know we're going to delve into the Bible, into Scripture, to find the answers to those. That's what we are here to do on Reason for Hope. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be fielding those questions and your host today. With us today, Father, Son, Team, Sean and Scott Richards. How are you guys doing? Here we are. Still recovering. Still recovering. Yeah. You feeling better today? I know you've been under the weather yeah. getting there. Yeah, that's how it goes, though. Yeah, yeah. You look a bit better yes. from yesterday, just to encourage you. Yeah. <laughs> how about you, Scott? A little less peaked. A little less, yes. <laughs> I feel safer being closer to you. How are yes. you doing, Scott? You doing I'm well? doing fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for making yourself available today. Oh, to, it's our pleasure. Yeah, yeah, not only today, but we're here Monday through Friday and to answer questions, and we appreciate your, your ministry and your availability. So thank you. Well, as I mentioned, the Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast. We're here Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, or wherever that is for you around the world as you join us through the wonders of the Internet. And you are all very welcome. We're glad that uh, you support this ministry, and uh, not only by viewing, but sending your questions in as well. So thank you, all of you out there. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's one way to view us, a great way to view us there. Um, it is a a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in uh, Tucson, Arizona. So calvarychristianfellowship.com, if you follow that Watch Live tab right there. Um, before you move on from that page, why don't you check out the events uh, that's going on, that tab just a couple to the right there. There's so many groups and Bible studies and events going on, almost more than we can keep up with, so something for everyone. So don't be a stranger if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area. We'd love to uh, minister to you even beyond a reason for hope. So check that out, um, the website, while you're there at calvarychristianfellowship.com. But if you follow that Watch Live tab, that will take you out to our live page. You'll see a countdown to our next live broadcast and the schedule of upcoming events, services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, and of course, a reason for hope shows as well. But if we're live, you'll see the video there. You'll be able to sign in with a username and be part of the chat. Like I mentioned, I will be fielding those and interacting with you as we go along. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church should you want that direct link. Or again, just follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. We're on Facebook, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Be sure to like and share. We'd appreciate that. If you've been blessed by this ministry, share it around to your friends. We'd love to reach more people. Facebook.com slash ccftucson. Or again, just search Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and you will find us live there. We have an app as well for your mobile device, whether it's iPhone or Android or your iPad, anything like that. Go to your app store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson once again. We also have a channel on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have those devices or a smart TV, you can find our channel there as well and watch us that way. I know my parents enjoy that on their Apple TV that my older brother set up for them. It's his birthday today. Shout out to my brother, Mark. <laughs> All the way across the pond. <laughs> All the way across the pond. <laughs> yes. Yes. So you can join us on the big screen as well with those devices. On YouTube, the channel is A Reason for Hope. Reason for Hope is the channel on YouTube. That's a great place to go if you want to catch up on archived versions 
of the show. If you miss one or you want to revisit a question that we covered, uh, Pastor Sean right here adds the questions in um, to the, uh, the information so you can see what we covered and you can navigate through those. And also our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. So that's a great resource for archive as well as going live there. And once again, like and share and subscribe and click the bell so you're notified when we're live and all that good stuff. We'd appreciate it. Helps us to grow the ministry. YouTube.com slash at a reason for hope 546 or just search for a reason for hope like a reasonable human and you will find it. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you can follow Pastor Scott here. Who has time to put in all that, all those uh, things in the search field? As a reasonable human. Yeah. <laughs> As a reasonable <laughs> yeah. human. Yeah. It is a reason for hope. Yeah. A reasonable human. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter if you're a Twitter kind of person. Uh, his handle is at Scott R4H, where he posts highlights from the show. He posts kind of commentary on news and world events from a biblical and prophetic standpoint and humorous things and things that will cause you to go into your prayer closet and all kinds of things there on Twitter. So follow along with Scott there. And last but not least, our question, our email address, I should say, is questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for hope spelled out at gmail.com. If you listen to us on the radio, we're sure glad that you are, but you are listening to a pre-recorded version of our show, usually the show from yesterday. So use our email address and we will get to those questions on our next show, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And of course, you can send us an email there anytime, 24-7, and we do fill those questions as well. So, well, with all that being said, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Should my throat allow it. Okay. God, thank you that we have the chance to be here. I want to invite you to be here as well, to minister to your people and minister through us. We're available for the process, and ask you be glorified as a result of all of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, Pastor Scott, um, on uh, Monday, you updated us about the earthquake that was going on. Is there any updates or anything else you <laughs> well, want to unfor share? Unfortunately, there is. Mm. Um, if you recall on Monday, the uh, death toll on this earthquake, 7.8 on the Richter scale with a 7.5 aftershock. I mean, fell all the way down in Israel from uh, the epicenter on uh, the border of Syria and Turkey, way up to the north. Uh, the uh, death toll at that time was about 3,500. Uh, I shared on the program, it wouldn't surprise me in light of uh, the uh, conditions and uh, the uh, destruction of buildings and so forth that happened as a result of that, that uh, death uh, toll uh, will have uh, doubled. Actually, it's tripled. It's almost wow. 11,000 people oh, now, uh, which is uh, more people apparently that have lost their lives in the uh, Syrian civil war that has been going on there in one fell swoop. Uh, so uh, please pray uh, for yeah. the, uh, the people there. Pray for the humanitarian aid workers that are uh, coming in. Interesting, uh, the uh, Jerusalem Post has a number of articles about how uh, Israel has been welcomed into the area both by Syria and by Turkey uh, to provide their expertise. In one set of circumstances, uh, a, a Israeli special forces uh, group uh, were able to uh, rescue a woman who was trapped in the uh, rubble under a, under a building uh, just mm. recently. And I'm sure a number of stories along that line yeah. are, happening, are happening there. The, the significant thing, though, is that uh, you know, it's like, uh, okay, uh, we're all at war with each other, and we all hate each other's guts, but uh, we're going to set all that aside because something uh, larger mm. has happened here. So uh, that uh, certainly is something that we should continue to pray about. As we mentioned, uh, earthquakes in various places 
one of the birth pains uh, that Jesus uh, mentioned. And, uh, you know, again, uh, our own uh, assistant pastor, Bo Willette, is here in Tucson as a result of an earthquake. Uh, the Northridge quake, uh, where he and his wife Sylvia were virtually at the epicenter of the quake, uh, an earthquake so powerful that it uh, increased the height of the San Gabriel Mountains on the north side of the San Fernando Valley by three feet when it was done. Wow. That was only a 6.8. Wow. This is uh, another whole point on the Richter scale. Yeah. And you need to understand that the Richter scale operates not just in increments. It's not 10% uh, more powerful. It's literally double the amount uh, of the Northridge mm. quake. So it gives you an idea of uh, what people were dealing with there. Another interesting uh, development, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it and keep you posted on it. Um, interesting headlines, uh, not only in the Jerusalem Post, but on all Israel news about a potential civil war in Israel over a, uh, a, an attempt uh, by the Netanyahu government uh, to uh, do a pretty uh, radical restructuring of the Israeli judiciary system. Uh, the legislation uh, they are proposing uh, would uh, allow a majority of the members on the Judicial Selection Committee to come from the governing coalition. In other words, whoever is running uh, the Knesset can stack the Israeli judiciary, the rough equivalent of our Supreme Court, uh, with their appointees. This, along with the proposal to give the government the ability to override Supreme Court rulings with a simple majority, in other words, uh, you got one vote more than 50%, mm. uh, you can override a Supreme Court ruling, uh, have raised fears this would give disproportionate power to the executive branch while weakening the court. Uh, this has also been criticized in an international sense. Uh, there are those that would uh, say this would give far too much power to, say, the Netanyahu government. There's also an overhang on all of this because uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been under investigation for some corruption charges. Uh, if uh, the governing party is able to put their own people in, uh, chances are uh, those kind of investigations are going to go away. Now, are those valid charges against Benjamin Netanyahu? Are they political things that have just been ginned up? Uh, we really don't know. Uh, we don't have the information to be able to say that or not. But suffice it to say, a guy like Benjamin Netanyahu is definitely more on the uh, conservative side of things. Uh, those who've been governing on the liberal side of things certainly don't like uh, the idea that a conservative uh, leader is in power in such a crucial place as Israel. Uh, and so uh, you can see uh, that, uh, as they say, we're playing politics here, not beanbag. Uh, and people are playing to win. As uh, one politician put it, uh, I don't want to just defeat my enemies. I want to obliterate them. Mm -hmm. And this is a quote. If I saw my enemy drowning politically, I would not only refuse to help them out. I'd stuff a hose in his mouth and turn it on. So that's the wow. intensity that you're dealing with. Uh, in these things. As they say, uh, politics is war by other means. Yeah. So a lot of that going on in Israel. Pray Oof. for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, a poll that was done uh, indicates that only 31% of people in Israel believe there is a low to non-existent chance of violence mm. if this particular bill is passed. Uh, a majority of Israel 
think that uh, this could deteriorate into large-scale violence where, where more than one in three citizens uh, polled, 35%, believe that uh, the conflict here could lead to uh, a form of civil war in Israel. So, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem again. Uh, pray that cooler heads prevail. Uh, it does seem to me that when you've got a, a massive enemy like Iran, which was demonstrating the world, by the way, earlier today, uh, their first completed all underground uh, Air Force base mm. to keep their uh, Russian uh, built planes uh, from being struck by drones and such. A mm. uh, lot to lose, and uh, showing weakness in that region of the world is definitely inviting conflict, especially from the outside. Mm. Uh, pray for peace there. It does seem like another birth pain is heading our way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for that so, update. Sure. Definitely cause for prayer. Yeah, definitely. Can't believe the scale of uh, of the um, the earthquake. Um, you mentioned nine eleven. I mean, what's that quadruple from the lives lost? I can't imagine the devastation on. Yeah. Just the, the you know, the economy well, there, lifestyle there, and yeah, yeah, you know, societally, the the whole bit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, events like this uh, have been known to uh, topple governments. The Erdogan yeah. regime in Turkey is being heavily criticized for not moving in uh, fast enough. They are also being criticized for allowing uh, Israel to come in on uh, the more extreme side of things, the more Islamist side of things in uh, Turkey, of which Erdogan is a uh, an adherent. But it does uh, it, uh, the, the whole region is uh, pretty stirred up right now. Yeah, yeah, to say the least. Well, well, we do have uh, some questions coming in, and some that uh, were left over from. Uh, the last few days as well. So uh, Craig is with us. Uh, he's asking, he says, prophecy was taken so seriously in the Bible that you would be stoned to death if you got it wrong. How did Moses go 40 years with a generation dying off without uh, being stoned to death? <laughs> well, I guess the only reason that would be remarkable is if he was making it up the whole time and managed for 40 years not to make a mistake. When we say prophecy, we usually think that's just limited to some nut job on acid talking about the future, and we kind of <laughs> fill in the gaps. The word prophet literally means a spokesman or someone who speaks on behalf of another. And as far as what Moses would prophesy about, it was literally relating as a mediator for the God of Israel in what was essentially a three-step process. In Exodus 33 and verse 7, you can read that when the cloud the presence of the Lord descended on the tabernacle, that was Israel's sign that they were to settle down in this land. And when they departed, they were to follow it. What was interesting about this cloud as well is that this literal embodiment of light that would be resting over this tent would invite Moses in and tell him what to speak to the people of Israel. And it would be in that way that he would communicate not only God's laws in the macro, but also in small matters as well. When people would have meetings with them and they were of such serious import that God had to directly intervene, Moses would speak on behalf of God since God was actually the head of state, not him. Uh, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were essentially his representatives to the women, to the priesthood, and of course to the nation as a whole. What's also interesting is that when Moses did, in fact, speak of the future, we note that those were put into writing, and those were things, of course, that were in one of three categories. I didn't say they are, they would be in one of three categories. Either they were true, they were false, or they were to be determined. 
when Moses would state something true, it would be a present observation. You can't verify the future when you're still in the present. Right. The to be determined would be the prophecies we have the benefit of seeing fulfilled today, for the most part, but also the prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. We can't falsify them, but we can't disprove them either. Right. If you fit into the third category, the false category, you said something that's just blatantly untrue and can be verified as such, then you would be executed by means of stoning. That's according to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses laid out God's credentials, that this was not something to be taken lightly. Now, if Moses was making this all off the cuff, eventually a mistake would have slipped out, and people would have noticed there were millions of them. But if, on the other hand, Moses wasn't making this up, he was hearing from God as a man hears and speaks to his friend, we read in Deuteronomy 34, I believe. The point of emphasis is all centered around that, that God was literally meeting with Israel through Moses as a mediator, as a spokesman. And this was actually their request. If you read in Exodus chapter 20, when the famous Ten Commandments were being given, Israel was panicking. They you know, yeah. I mean, just obviously physical, audible issues are happening here, but they were so terrified by the presence of God, they pleaded with Moses saying, don't let this great presence speak to us anymore. Uh, you speak on behalf you of go God talk to, to us, him. because if we keep hearing this, we're yeah. going to die. Yeah. And I don't think that was because, oh, they were just so convicted by the truth of God's words. No, he's big and loud. Yeah. So that was the reason why Israel didn't stone Moses for false prophecy. They did try to stone him a lot, but it wasn't for saying anything false. Right. And that's also important to note because that tradition then continued to be the standard by which you judged prophets, even going into the time of the Babylonian exile. We're going over Ezekiel tonight at our local fellowship, and last week in Ezekiel chapter 3, he was reminded that this is the policy. You speak what I tell you. You don't tell them what you think. If, and he was literally given a sermon to bind his own hands and say, they're not going to listen to you, yeah. but they are going to listen to me. No, that's the hands that are leading you. That's the, uh, I guess, will that binds you here. Yeah. So the point being made is just that, Craig. If we assume that there is no God, then obviously the fact Moses would go 40 years with those kinds of credentials, standards to keep up with, would be remarkable, but it wasn't. It would be no more remarkable if God did exist than me to be a legitimate prophet of him for me to speak on behalf of, say, Pastor Scott Richards here, if his mic is out and saying, oh, what he said was this. He's right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, I think the other point that you mentioned here is is another interesting one, Craig. Uh, if uh, the people of Israel had a legitimate reason to stone Moses, they would have. Yeah. Why do I say that? because on two separate incidences where they, uh, well, actually we could point to three, where they didn't have legitimate reason to stone Moses, they almost did. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the first one was not too long after they had uh, crossed the, uh, the Red Sea and were beginning their wilderness wanderings. They came to a place uh, called Rephidim where there was no water for the people to drink. Uh, and they panicked. They said, uh, give us water. May drink Moses. Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Uh, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They're ready to stone me. And so God gave him instructions. Go and strike this rock and it will bring forth water for you. And so it did. 
Well, interestingly, on the other side of the wilderness wanderings in Numbers chapter 20, uh, almost before Moses' death, they came again to the wilderness of Zin where Rephidim was. Uh, Miriam had died and was buried there, so it was a very emotional time for Moses. There was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. The people contended with Moses and said, if only we died when our brethren died before the Lord. Now, this is probably referring to uh, the rebellion of Korah, where uh, people were literally swallowed up by the earth for rebelling against God. They said, well, better for us to happen, that, that, you know, a little over the top, maybe a little uh, drama queen going on there. Yep. Uh, you know, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vigs or vines or pomegranates. There's no water to drink. So uh, again, uh, they were ready to stone Moses here. And uh, Moses and Aaron, bless their hearts, uh, went to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, fell on their face, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And uh, again, Moses blew his temper, hit the rock again when God only told him to speak to it. And because of that, he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Uh, another time, uh, right on the edge of going to the promised land the first time in Numbers chapter 14, uh, when uh, the, the uh, uh, majority report came back and said, uh, oh, we saw the land, it is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants there. Uh, we saw the, uh, the uh, Nephilim there, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, you know, and uh, they said, oh, you brought us out here to kill our children, and they were ready to stone them at that time. So if there was any legitimate reason, like a false prophecy that Moses had made, close but no cigar, mm. so to speak, they yeah. would have done it. Right. But Moses, again, proved himself to be a reliable prophet of God mm. and uh, got two thumbs up from no less an authority than Jesus for his prophetic ministry. Yeah, that's a good endorsement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure. exactly. The yeah. best. <laughs> yes, indeed. Craig, thank you. Uh, great question. I hope that helps you out. Um, had a uh, just an encouraging message from uh, Shoe Speak. Um, shoe that speak. Shoe, well, that's your name on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, your Shoe Speak. Yeah. Um, I, I used don't to know. sell shoes. Did you? <laughs> I used to speak a lot about shoes. Used to do people. the Shoe Speak. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, he said that this show has inspired him and his friends to study Revelation and and prophecy. So he thanks us for that, which is very cool. But he also asks, how does Sean organize the tabs? in his Bible. I actually noticed those yesterday on camera. Look at all those little bookmarks. He asks, how do you, how does that uh, help you? I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek. It, it's, it's a fringe question, we yeah. might say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, those listening on radio know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> essentially, just keep it organized and color coordinated for purposes of outreach. If I'm out and about and I don't expect people to take my word for it, if I quote the Bible, I want to show them in the page. I have these little bookmarks that are color-coordinated in a way I understand. For the sake of the purpose of this broadcast, though, you don't have to deal with my idiosyncrasies. Just note that if a group comes along, I think, okay, I need a green color tab here, and I'll have some passages to keep in mind. Oh, that's good. That's good. Scott, have you ever, um, have you ever marked your Bible up in a certain way? Do you, I know oh. some people do like certain color highlights. Well, I, I'm, I'm a Bible mutilator. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the problem that I have with it is uh, I think there's sort of a planned obsolescence uh, that the Bible companies build into them so that uh, just about the time I've got like all these margin notes and yeah. things like that, just the way I like them, the thing falls apart. Yep. So, yep. But, I, but I, you know, I keep them around. I imagine you could probably have them recovered or something like that. Yeah, but. I had the same Bible as you and the same thing happened. It fell apart and it was, it was hard because I knew 
I could see where verses were on the page and then everything changed. Yeah. I think that one's out of print or something. <laughs> well, I think the Lord does that so that it kind of stirs us up. You know, there's yeah. a fascinating uh, insight from uh, Philip Keller who wrote to Shepherd Looks at the, the 23rd Psalm hmm. about the phrase in the 23rd Psalm, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You know, not, we just kind of think, oh, well, God's going to keep me on the straight and narrow. But uh, the, the, the nuance, the meaning behind it uh, is something that shepherds are familiar with. Sheep, like us, tend to be creatures of habit. Mm. Uh, we tend to walk where we've walked before. You yeah. don't believe that's true? Uh, measure your outrage when someone happens to be sitting in your seat in church on <laughs> Sunday morning. Uh, you know, people like to have their, their patterns and so on. But uh, what that means is like sheep will tend to walk in the same places. They tend to wear out trails. If you've ever been hiking and you've seen animal trails, uh, not trails that have been set aside by humans, but just animal trails that are out there, it means that animals are used to walking through a certain place. They tend mm -hmm. to you know, dampen down the, the brush and stuff. Well, uh, sheep, if they do that too much, uh, will, by virtue of the fact that they're always going over the same places, they'll leave their sheep droppings and so forth behind them there. They'll take out all of the usable uh, grass that's there and it can result in uh, the sheep uh, getting infected. Uh, it can mm. uh, result in uh, damage to the fodder that the sheep need. So a wise shepherd, according to Philip Keller, will lead them in paths of righteousness. That is the right path for them to take, actually leading them away from the old habits and mm. the old, old worn out ways into new areas, which might at first seem uncomfortable to a sheep, yeah. from a sheep's eye view, but it's going to keep them healthy and lead them to a better diet. So I think the same thing happens when our Bibles fall apart. I think yeah. It's God <laughs> keeping us from getting stuck in the same rut. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for that analogy. Yeah, well, she speak. thank you for your encouraging words. Um, but uh, I like what you shared, Sean. That's kind of called the different colors. I'm sure that helps you out a lot. But um, we had a few questions along the line, and I relate to this because I was kind of raised in school. I was taught that you can trust in you know the fact of science, you know, in science in a public school, or you can choose to believe one of these sort of alternative, you know, uh, creation and that kind of thing. Is Thomas it? Dolby told us that. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. So is it? <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so is it? You know, is it true that to be a Christian you have to kind of ignore? Uh, science is it true that as christians we have like a lower iq because we have to ignore scientific um evidence or is it just another way of looking at the you know the same evidence you know when words like science are thrown out and i think people are getting more and more wise to this especially in our day and age you really have to start with a common dictionary because science means something today that francis bacon would not have recognized when he pioneered the scientific method Christian, by the way. So when we're talking about the issue of trusting the science as opposed to you and your blind faith, what you have to define is science and what you have to define is faith. Science is an observational-based study. The usual study is determined by cause and effect, and of course it can have a broad definition. And what you need to do is, first of all, use that opportunity. Like, if you mean by science, the study of cause and effect, what you're usually going to encounter after that is that no one ever defines science that way. And you can then just give them the chance to say, okay, how do you define science? And if they give you an answer to that question specifically, 
they aren't even following their own rules because they're demanding that you adhere to a universal definition of science and yet in a way just took the bait they set on their own hook by saying, well, this is what science means to me. Because the moment they give you a definition, then ask, okay, who said that? Where is that in the textbook? Where is that in that universal entity known as science in the sky? And of course, I'm being facetious, but you're talking to people who will literally talk out of both sides of their mouth on this issue. If we can understand science on common ground, then understand the book of science, quote unquote, is just an observation of nature. We talked a little bit yesterday about how there are plenty of things that certainly exist within nature that aren't nature. We call them supernatural or beyond nature. And no one says the, oh, you archaic uh, Christians believe in things like math and logic and beauty and courage and these (laughs) actual things in nature that aren't of nature. This is what we mean by something that is supernatural. Now, if They then say, well, I have facts and you have faith. Well, once again, what do you mean by faith? People usually say, oh, well, Hebrews 11.1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, Mm -hmm. faith is not evidence. Well, first of all, it clarifies its evidence, but let's leave that aside, of what? Things that you can't see. Now, if we say, well, the only things that exist are the things that I can see, I can't see you saying those words. I can hear them. Are we being rational at this point? Oh, well, you know what I mean. No, I don't. That's why we're trying to define our terms here. If we go by the actual textbook definition of faith, the word that the biblical authors used, inspired by the Holy Spirit, with the intent of communicating the basis of how we have a relationship, not an empirical uh, thesis on God, it's based on the word Pistis. Now, pistis means trust with reason. It is a conclusion that you come to based on the information you have, not empirical information, but relational information, the sort of information that warrants right. trust. No amount of data will tell you to trust the law of gravity will keep you on the ground. The fact that there's a consistent pressure on the planet Earth downwards at negative 9.8 meters per second squared does not give you reason. If you're keeping score at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doesn't, that's a scientific yeah. claim. It's a measurement, it but seven, it yeah. gives you no reason to trust that will be there tomorrow. You can say, oh, well, science is a constant. You're trusting the words of those scientists because they've gotten the measurements right but understand it's a relational term. And they're not even, in the case of gravity, sure what they're measuring. Yeah, and that's, no, Nobody really knows what gravity is. It's a catch-all phrase for a phenomena we consistently observe. Yeah, so this is what it ultimately comes down to. And again, I'll quote him as often as I can because i got to work on my Scottish accent, but a scientist, a mathematician by the name of John Lennox, who was a student of C.S. Lewis, graduate at Oxford, uh, interestingly enough, made an observation where he asked his audience, who brought up this question, why is it that there's this conflict between science and faith? Mm. And he said, "Uh, young man, could you tell me why? That kettle is boiling. Just, just imagine we're in a kitchen, you know, and you got the, the kettle boiling over there. To tell me, tell me what is this kettle boiling? And he says, oh, well, as a result of the chemical reaction on the stove and the mechanisms therein, it's causing the water molecules to vaporize. And because they build up in the tea kettle, it uh, starts to, you know, 
escape through the mechanism and cause that hissing sound, that's why the kettle's boiling. It's a heat chemical reaction, vaporizing of the water and so forth inside. And he says, no, silly, it's boiling because I want a cup of tea. Science doesn't answer every question. <laughs> the question of relationship and the question of data are two different categories. So mm. I'll, I'll stop with the Scottish accent. But the, <laughs> no, point, going, being made, <laughs> the point being made is this. When we're D- talking... Dave is still bitter about Braveheart. But, <laughs> yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> Why did you bring that up? <laughs> the point being made is this. If a person is going to tell you that science is the only true fact, that it of itself isn't even a scientific statement. You're trusting the words of scientists to give you non-scientific information in the name of science, which is misleading. And again, a um, renowned, not quite so much today, but nonetheless, I'll quote him without mentioning his name, made the accurate observation of saying, what scientific principle demands of scientists that they must be honest in their discoveries? There's nothing in science that demands you to be honest. There's a scientific mm. statement. There's That's a scientific statement. fact. Mm-hmm. But you have to go beyond the nature observation to exist within it because we in of ourselves don't function that way. And again, if you encounter someone who's just throwing slogans at you, the first and most important thing to do is to get them off of their pedestal. I've had conversations with pagans and skeptics and agnostics, all who fall into this trap. Most are insincere. Some have been just comfortable in their well-walked grooves, right? Right. But we need to make sure that we get people off of those slogans because you can't talk to a slogan. You can talk to a Mm. person. If they say, well, the claims of these scientists haven't been inaccurate, and they also make things about metaphysics, like the nature of God, being nonsense. Okay, but is that a scientific claim? Is that their field? I'm the theologian. I've studied the reasons for God's existence. Why don't you trust me as a scientist? Why do you categorize them and their words about God when they don't study the concept? They just hate it. Right. Meanwhile, I study the concept of God without some sort of emotional bent, and suddenly I'm irrational, bigoted, and every other thing that you could name. This is what you have to be aware of. First of all, terms. Second of all, assumptions. And third of all, what someone's job actually is. And someone or something in this case, like science, isn't, to men- isn't meant to mention or describe everything. It's meant to ultimately give us a pattern or recognize a pattern within nature. And the founder of the scientific method, Francis Bacon, was quoted as saying that the only reason I can make this sort of system that fits is with the working assumption that there is an orderer of nature, that there is a mind behind matter that set things in an order that can be observed, Mm -hmm. which is why every single contributor to the scientific revolution were Christians, some heretical, some not. But the only people who are lorded as scientists today are the ones who are much like with our cultural revolutionists today, borrowing from the Christian principles while negating or uh, demonizing oftentimes the foundations of what makes their assumptions correct in the first place, that there would in fact be a creator that puts things in order, not the laws of atrophy decided to not work one day and suddenly we have everything. Yeah. Anything to add to that? No, I I think that's, uh, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, 
be a critical consumer of mm -hmm. what you hear from Bill Nye, the alleged science guy, although he doesn't have any scientific training to speak of. He's a mechanical engineer mm -hmm. uh, by, by education and training. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, the, the uh, parade of people that are put forth as so-called scientists, I think are trading, and this is what you're saying, Sean, in scientism. It's a uh, worldview that is entirely formed by faith, by unprovable axioms uh, that they use to explain everything. Mm -hmm. And yet it gets, you know, put a white lab coat on somebody and throw a few initials after their name and suddenly they're the new high priests, uh, right. you know, giving you uh, revelation from on high, mm -hmm. being able to tell you what happened four billion years ago, mm -hmm. although nobody was around to see it. <laughs> How do they do that? Well, we look at current conditions and we extrapolate back. Well, you're extrapolating. You know, it's not observable, it's not testable, it's not repeatable. And the funny thing is, and I'll just throw this in as an illustration, when the materialistic, uh, long, uh, old earth paradigm is challenged, it's uh, amazing how uh, the backpedaling uh, immediately begins to happen. A few years ago, a group of scientists from Montana State University I dug up the remains of a T-Rex uh, fossil in the Badlands of Montana. Well, uh, they were going to bring it back uh, in to, for examination. In the lab, they sawed open one of the uh, thigh bones of this large fossil to make it fit in the helicopter, and they noticed something strange about the insides of the thigh bones. They went back and tested the lab, and they found that there was dinosaur guts in there. What I mean is collagen, blood vessels, yeah. hemoglobin. Uh, inside a dinosaur that uh, the uh, revealed uh, uh, you know, revelation tells us should be 64 million years old. Yeah. Well, DNA and DNA, DNA structures are incredibly delicate. Uh, science will tell you they don't last more than 10,000 years uh, under, unless there's some extreme kind of condition, and not much more even under the most extreme kind of preservation. So um, you've got a $64 million fossil with dinosaur guts. What do we do with that? Well, instead of saying, wow, maybe T-Rexes aren't as old as we thought. Mm. We can't do that. No. Everybody's grants are riding on that. Yeah. Everybody's uh, props and respect and being invited to the right parties are riding on that. So what do we do? They say, there must have been some unknown process that preserved the dinosaur guts for 64 million years. Mm. Yeah. In other words, our conclusion can't be wrong. Yep. Don't, uh, you know, are you going to believe us? Are you going to believe your lying eyes when you see a dinosaur? And now they're discovering by cutting open dinosaur bones, this is not a one-off. Wow. It happens all the time. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the bottom line is this. You know, if someone comes to you and says, well, you know, we're not uh, into faith. We're into religion. Of course they're into faith. They believe in yep. unprovable things that can't be verified scientifically. Right. They trust their assumptions. Yeah. They've made them. They believe them. They're comfortable in them. Yep. You know, a few years ago, when someone would get their degree in, in any of the hard sciences, as we would say, uh, I think there was a better truth in labeling. They would get a degree in natural philosophy. That would, was the name of the degree. And I think that's uh, a lot more honest because you can't divorce these pronouncements about unseen reality mm. that is stuff that has gone on in the unseen past or or things that are going on you know when they start speculating about multiverses unless you're writing comic books and looking for lazy plot hole fillers mm. um no one's ever seen a multiverse you know nobody has ever known if there's three or four spider-men running around out there right uh so you know all these things are taken on faith 
Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the most ridiculous statements I think I've ever heard in one of these conversations was when uh, someone says, well, we'll put our facts up against yours anytime. Mm. I'm like, it's the same facts. Right. It's how you choose to interpret them. Yep. You know, our, our own Bo Ouellette talking to his brother about the very same issue uh, <laughs> a great point. He said to his brother, who wasn't a believer at that time, um, let me tell you something. I'm biased and you're biased. Mm. And uh, he said, I'm willing to admit my bias. My bias is informed by the fact that I look around the universe and I believe there is a God who made all things. And that's how I see the universe. Your bias is informed by the fact that you deny that. You deny your bias, though. Right. But we all have our bias glasses. Right. So if someone says, I'm just coming to present you the objective truth, yep. and Neil deGrasse Tyson or whoever it might be, mm -hmm. they're woofing. Yep. And, and Bill Nye, the science guy, and all these other uh, people that get uh, you know time supported by your tax dollars, mm -hmm. they are engaging in philosophy, a lot of it bad philosophy, poorly thought through philosophy, but philosophy nonetheless. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Yep. Any uh, good resources for somebody who wants to do further study? Answers in Genesis? Well, yeah, if website, you want to deal or... with the old earth creationism versus a young earth, but there's plenty of resources and plenty of people that will essentially just call out the status quo about these mm. sort of assumptions. Again, uh, RZIM, um, I'm trying to remember John Lennox's uh, ministry. You can find his lectures online where he talks about these sort of scientific discussions. I don't mm. know if he has a specific website. He should, but I listen John to him Lennox. from time to time. Yeah, L-E-N-N-O-X. Oh. But um, yeah, he would be a great resource because that's his actual field and the mm. kind of debates that he has with atheists and agnostics challenge that very assumption mm. and he's a uh, very well spoken there was a debate he had with richard dawkins once that was uh, reviewed as saying it was like watching santa claus debate the devil but uh, <laughs> that being said <laughs> wow google that <laughs> yeah I, I would highly recommend answers in genesis.org or icr.org uh, either of those two are really good websites in that you can go as deep on these issues as, as you really want um, they have articles that are written for, you know, laymen and people are just mm. interested in, you know, the, the kind of the, oh, well, that, that's, that's kind of compelling yeah. to me kind of a thing all the way down to articles written by PhD scientists and in, in hard sciences that will absolutely, uh, blow your mind. Um, we had, uh, Dr. Russell Humphreys on the broadcast a few years ago. He wrote a book called Starlight in Time and his specialty is nuclear lensing at mm. uh, Los Alamos. Uh, I don't even know what nuclear lensing is. <laughs> and I felt so bad for the poor guy because here he's trying to explain these concepts in physics uh, to morons like me and trying to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. And you could just see that, you know, this is it's kind of difficult for a guy who lives up here, right. you know, to deal with us down here. But very, very uh, wonderful man and yeah. very, very patient. But uh, you want to read these sort of things and you know again these aren't people that got their science degrees from the billy bob school of evangelism um these are people from mit these are yeah. people from uh, cambridge these are individuals uh that definitely have uh, their credentials in order so mm, if someone good. tries to play appeal to authority and say oh well your scientists are just a bunch of knotheads and they aren't uh, credentialed well at aig and icr you're going to find credentialed scientists yeah 
who take a decidedly biblical point of view, and it's very encouraging. Yeah, very good. De- dealing with the alternative view of science regarding philosophy, there are people for that as well. Yeah, yeah very good. All right. Well, question from Holly. She says, hey, guys, hello. 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 Uh, hello. <laughs> That's what she said. Hey, guys. Uh, my mom wants me to speak in tongues when I don't feel good. I used to speak in tongues, but now I question it and have my own relationship with Christ. I used to speak in so-called tongues, and I felt better. I had a warm feeling inside. What should I do, and what is going on here? So what is the place of tongues these days? Well, first of all, we need to understand that speaking in tongues, that is the ability to speak in a language that one has not learned, is a legitimate biblical gift. Uh, It was a gift that was demonstrated when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Uh, We discover that uh, it was a miraculous gift in that uh, individuals from at least eight different language groups were able to hear the awesome deeds of God proclaimed in their own language. They understood it. It wasn't them making random noises. It wasn't just languages that didn't exist yet, like in the Bible TV series. It was in the dialects of the people who are all in attendance of Jerusalem with the express intent, the Spirit's express intent, purpose of giving them these utterances was that they could communicate with them in languages they hadn't known. And so as a result, God's name would be glorified. God's word would be represented. Now, obviously the spirit's going to do something. The spirit's going to say something. He'll include some guidelines to what this is and what this isn't. Yeah. And, And we do see that the idea of speaking in tongues was important uh, it was uh, something that marked the first uh, uh, manifestation of the coming upon power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It was also a verification, if you will, uh, to the disciples, say when they went down to Samaria and they heard that these people that were considered half-breed Jews, how in the world could God possibly love them, mm-hmm. had received the Lord and had received the Holy Spirit just as they did. According uh, to the standard of Moses, if this was from God, he would back it up with deeds. Yeah. Tongues was the most direct example of it. Was it the only example? No. But why was a miracle, any miracle, needed? Because if God was working, it was a new work, it would be verified through these speaking in tongues. Yeah. Granted, the apostles could have benefited from maybe just reading Isaiah 40, but God kind of held their hand. Yeah, and, and subsequently in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, when Peter is dragged kicking and screaming and shares the gospel with Cornelius, a Roman centurion and his family, uh, before Peter can even give the altar call, the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his family, and they manifest that particular gift. Mm-hmm. See it again in Acts chapter 19. Uh, some disciples of John the Baptist hadn't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Paul prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit. There was the manifestation of speaking in tongues. Now, there are those who will take that pattern, Holly, and say that all believers have to speak in tongues, or it is the only sign of the coming upon power of the Holy Spirit. That is not true, because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that not all speak in tongues. Hmm. Not all have that gift. It is a gift and if you've got that gift, it's a wonderful gift. In fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, we learn some more about the gift of speaking in tongues. Not only that it is an evangelical gift, uh, we see that described there when it says tongues are not assigned to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Uh, it does have that aspect. But the Apostle Paul also, Holly, talks about it as a gift that a believer can have in their own prayer life. 
you know, the, the Apostle Paul uh, said, said this, uh, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue uh, pray that he may interpret. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless uh, with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For indeed, you give thanks well, but the other is not edified. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. But yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding I may teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul talks about the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Right. So, you know, Holly, you mentioned the idea of praying in that prayer language. You felt like it encouraged you. That's not unbiblical. Mm. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, again, we have to be very careful by judging of judging things on the basis of feelings. But when we take a look at what the Scripture says about this gift, that it is given to people to be an upward gift. You're giving thanks well, the Apostle Paul said. Mm. It's not prophecy gussied up with this language. And mm. unfortunately, in a lot of settings where I've heard uh, people pray in tongues in public, someone will give an interpretation and they will speak like it was a prophecy, like God is speaking to us. Mm. That's not in line with Scripture. It is us speaking to God, and that's a good way to test what's going on there. Um, you know, when when all the spiritual gifts are mentioned, speaking in tongues has got to be the lightning rod of all of them as far as critics are concerned yeah. because in a sense it insults our intelligence. If God gives you the ability to speak in a language you never learn, you've never heard anybody else speak it, there may be times when you are using this gift where you find yourself thinking to yourself, man, I'm just babbling along here kind of like an idiot. How do I know that this is really something? Well. You know, I think what Paul says here is a really good point, Holly, and this is how you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You pray mm. in the Spirit, you pray with your understanding at the same time. You can do both. Yep. You know, if God has given you that ability to be able to speak in tongues, then that's great. You can pray, but pray as well that the Lord will perhaps reveal you what you're saying. Mm. Uh, or, uh, again, be praying and, and uh, giving thanks to God while you're doing that. You know, the, the bottom line is, uh, at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, and I think this is the best place to kind of sum it all up, we are told uh, to forbid not the speaking in tongues. You know, there's people that uh, buy into this idea of cessationism, that uh, the gift of speaking in tongues was only for the foundation of the church and that it died out after the last apostle. Mm. I don't see any evidence in the Scripture that that's the case. Mm. You've got three pretty much three chapters, entire chapters of the Bible devoted to the care and maintenance of spiritual gifts, including one whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 directly devoted to the gift of speaking in tongues. It's very would be very surprising to me, in light of all of that, that there was no such thing as that particular gift today. Now, there's a lot of, you know, emotionalism, a lot of mm -hmm. hokiness sometimes can surround this. I remember early on in my Christian life, uh, someone who was an enthusiastic Pentecostal mm. gave me a book by uh, the Happy Hutters, Charles and Francis Hutter. And uh, they said that you could receive the gift of speaking in tongues just by babbling, and then by faith, God would make it a language. They suggested starting out with the words, banana, banana, banana. I think that's <laughs> ridiculous. You know, if, if God is going to give you that gift, he's going to give you that yeah. gift. You don't have to fake it. 
until you make it. And it can line up with his word. So when it brings it back to your example, Holly, and you mentioned another individual, I won't mention their name, but they claim they got in a car accident, they spoke in tongues, and God miraculously healed them. What we're talking about is two different spiritual gifts here. Same source, one God who works all in all is capable of doing all these things. But understand when the Holy Spirit spoke his word and he notes the different kinds of ministries the Holy Spirit will work through people in, how inconsistently and how dodgy this topic can get when you're dealing with people who've already made up their mind, this is how it works, when the definition of it, the source of it, says the opposite. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, it notes, Now you are the, mem- are the body of Christ, and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, the sent out ones, second prophets, spokesmen, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, Now, here's where we need to be consistent. Verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Are all apostles? Have we all been sent out? No, obviously not. Are all uh, prophets? I hope not. That's a very high status to keep up with. Are all teachers? James doesn't advise it. Do all, notice, are all workers of miracles? Anyone here performed a miracle recently, if at all? Not I recently. mean, obviously we can be a part of the greatest <laughs> miracle of all, calling someone to salvation, but 1 Corinthians 12, same chapter, and I've verse seen 3. some in response to prayer, but yeah. 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 1 you're, Corinthians you're 12 and verse 3 says what? It's not except by the Holy Spirit someone calls Jesus Lord, so that's not me. Do all have gifts of healings? Obviously not, but notice this. Do all speak with tongues? As if that's different? I thought tongues cause healings. Well, in this case, and in the case of the false teacher that addressed you, and though well-intended, perhaps what your mother was trying to encourage, is that if one spiritual gift is faked, then a legitimate spiritual gift might follow, and that one leads to the other. But notice in a string of hypothetical questions, and you may read it in the sense that, of course, we should all be apostles. Well, understand, in that very same section and chapter, you would realize just how silly it would be if I came to you and said, oh, your throat sore? Well, be an apostle. Oh, your throat sore? Well, start uh, handling the church finances and maybe organize some church events, the gift administrations, right? That'll Mm. result in your healing. Mm. Why? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Mm. But in the same string of conversations, the same basically absurdism Paul's trying to set up, that we don't all speak with tongues, that we don't all have gifts of healings, that if all speak with tongues, therefore all will be healed. That doesn't follow. So if someone, well-intended or not, and I can pretty much verify some are not, will say, oh, I had this experience. This is what happened to me. I spoke in tongues, and then the Spirit worked, and I was healed. And look, look, here's the scar. Well, all a scar proves is you had an injury there at one point. It doesn't verify the miracle. And even if you got the local, you know, ambulance to verify with you as they observe this healing because you were saying banana over and over again, I don't buy it anyway, because I have more reason to trust scripture than your account, key detail here, in direct contradiction to it. If we're going to hear what God has done, it's going to be based on what God has already done. 
But if on the other hand, someone's going to come to you and say, no, 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 forget scripture. I had this experience. Are you going to believe that or your lying eyes? This is where we ultimately need to make the line between who we choose to trust and the reasons we have to do so. Yes, when people have what's called placebo effects, or if they're put in a state of anticipation, the power of suggestion can be very dramatic. But there is medical research noting that placebos had the same effect on someone's emotional well-being, for example, with antidepressants when they were given sugar pills because the doctor that were giving them these placebos said this is an antidepressant and their mood suddenly changed. Does that mean that the sugar pill is a better antidepressant than whatever you know, hard-to-spell medicine is available on the market? Obviously not, but the power of the mind and the influence that it can have over the body needs to be taken into consideration. If God's going to do a miracle, it's going to be a miracle done by God, not something that can be explained in these very um, interesting but nonetheless bizarre ways. Yeah, mm. very good. Yeah. Great, great question, Holly. Thank you for that. I hope that helps you out. We're out of time for today. Scott, thank you so much for being here. Sean, thank you. Um, if you want to stick around on the platforms that you're viewing on, we will be having our Wednesday evening service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship at uh, 6.30 p.m., half an hour after we go off, off uh, line here. We're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. Am yep. I right? Yes. Yeah. In fact, we are. Just a bit of light study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, some uh, really interested, interesting acted-out sermons uh, done really without a word uh, that uh, God is going to share with the people of Israel. And, uh, uh, you know, some really interesting insights, I think, that we can pick up on uh, the old saying, uh, go and preach the gospel to uh, every creature when necessary, use words. Wow. Um, what is our, uns- our unspoken witness? all about. We're going to see how that worked uh, with God's uh, prophetic message for Israel. We'll learn a thing or two about how we can uh, incorporate that into our own lives as well. Well, very good. Yeah. So once again, ministry is going through the evidence for the resurrection. Pray for them too. Oh, nice. Great ministry going on here. So again, if you stick around on the channel you're on, uh, we'll be going live in, in about half an hour. Or if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, come and join us in person. Have a Christian fellowship. God bless you. God bless see you, you next time. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.